Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. In today's episode, an alternative story to what we've been told about Yeshua the Nazarene, also known as Jesus. We add a psycho-emotional dimension to a religious narrative to arrive at a spiritually useful picture. We context the relevance of this story with the rise of Christian theocracy and its origins as opposed to Yeshua's actual original teachings, which are part of the paradigm of identity. Also, a quick announcement, Eric Grace, who I've mentioned before, is now leading Emotivity Circles. It's a bi-weekly group that uses emotive body ensoulment as its basis. For more information on that, visit eric-grace.com. That's E-R-I-C-grace.com. I remind you, as always, to please listen to this podcast from the beginning and in order. Thanks so much for listening. Well, welcome forward, listeners, and thank you, Stace, for being here yet again. You just you keep relentlessly showing up. It's terrific. <laughs> I appreciate that. Somebody Zoom knocks on my Zoom door, and so I, I am powerless to resist. Yeah. Well, amen. So glad for that. <laughs> so on our agenda today is um, the life of Yeshua, Yeshua the Nazarene, a.k.a. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a pretty different name. We might even talk about why that's different, but you want to talk about that. Also, the uh, the life of Siddhartha Gotama, a.k.a. Yes. the Buddha. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of rabbit holes in there, but... My first curiosity is, why is it you want to talk about this? Why should people think that's important? Um, Possibly, uh, I'm only being slightly uh, sardonic, uh, (laughs) possibly because this country is heading for a Christian theocracy. Mm. And uh, we have to deconstruct Christianity uh, in order to expose the real Yeshua and what actually happened at the crucifixion. so there's some import in that, and with and within the 60s and 70s when Buddhism came over um, there uh, to America and started uh, washing up against uh, the conservative religious pictures of things, uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about the Buddha too. Um, worshipful uh, um, uh, projections, just like worshipful, worshipful with Yeshua, and since identity headlines this podcast with. It's clear if you can access the Akashika, and this is not just my opinion, this is out there, uh, that Yeshua and, and, and Gotama were the same soul in two different incarnations. Uh, so if you don't believe in incarnations, uh, incar- reincarnation, then this will all seem silly to you and useless. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, that's another reason why I want to bring in um, the Buddha's uh, life too. Yeah, one of the things I find interesting here related to that is that you know, there's an increasing number of atheists and agnostics uh, every year in the last, like, since World War II, I think, or maybe even earlier. And it's very easy to get seduced into thinking if you're an atheist, atheist agnostic or a New Age spiritualist or whatever, someone outside of that world. It's very easy to think, like, that that's something elsewhere has nothing to do with me when actually we very much live inside a Judeo-Christian society and um, it just choosing to believe otherwise doesn't make it so <laughs> no that's right uh yeah and uh in terms of that one rabbit hole uh we can go in a spadeful on that one maybe yeah. and that is that 
one of the main creators, uh, if not the majority creator of atheism, is the nonsense peddled in religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and they're so, actually peddling atheism, actually, without realizing it. <laughs> yes, there's, they are helping create backlash of atheism because of the lack of, of critical thinking and in the pictures of reality that religion, especially uh, Christianity in this case, uh, offers. So they themselves help create uh, atheism for anyone who says, I can't buy that um, that uh, pig doo doo, so it's to like speak. It's like the boy who cried wolf. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. So so religion is a, or um, uh, uh, atheism is a, is a profound reactivity to the nonsense in uh, Christianity, we'll say and Judaism. Um, and we can talk a little bit about both because Yeshua's life uh, spanned both uh, Judaism and uh, what became a religion in his name, which he never intended to do. So um, how should we start? Let's uh, let's just talk about the Christian theocracy first, because mm-hmm. um, as we said in other podcasts, uh, uh, this the United States was formed as a republic, uh, a constitutional republic, and uh, freedom uh, of religion also carries, as we've said, freedom from religion. And since uh, more and more it became clear back in the ni- 80s and 90s, uh, it dawned on Christian extremists that um, that if they got elected, they could sway public policy toward their own religion. Uh, and that's exactly what's happened. Uh, so we have so many um, uh, legislators in, in this country who are uh, Christian extremists, such that extremism meaning there's no room for anyone else's point of view. There's no room. That's an extremist. I don't care how inactive uh, or if you, even if you don't wear a MAGA hat. Um, uh, uh, Christian extremism is anytime there is racism and, on, uh, and or uh, only my truth is the truth uh, instead of an open dialogue of critical critical thinking, right? So then the reason this is doubly tragic is because the entire Christian religion, according to identity, identity uh, is a scam. Uh, and the church has always known it was a scam. Uh, we can headline that it always knew that. Um, then we can backtrack from there because it was even admitted by a pope, Pope Leo X. And I quote, uh, this has served us well, this myth of Christ. Whoa. Um, a pope. And of course, this was the same Leo X, who I believe, if I'm not mistaken, historically, on Friday the 13th of that dark year, ordered the, uh, the, the extermination of all Knights Templars. Um, so we have some really sketchy origin uh, 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 origination stories for Christianity. And uh, I'd like to offer, uh, unpack um, uh, identity's version of why it's a scam uh, and always has been a scam and that it's become legitimated to such a degree in this country that uh, it wants the the followers of Christianity want to turn the whole country into a theocracy. Um, And so this is is in the news every day, one way or another, we, we want to track it back to the scamness of Christianity altogether. So um, identity's picture, and then we'll get to the life of Jesus, too, as part of this. Uh, of course, um, the present uh, uh, form of Christianity, um, which started out as Catholicism uh, before the Protestant Reformation uh, uh, and, and Luther 
teched up those uh, wonderful things he did on that uh, that door of that cathedral. Um, uh, the Catholicism, Christianity, in that in that sense, uh, uh, was voted on. It was voted on. It did not come down from high. God did not appear behind his clouds as a hairy thunderer and say, here is what you should believe in. Um, these are all human beings. And of course, the church would say, well, we were inspired to vote the way we voted. So there's no arguing with a, a religionist that way when they feel they have only they have a, a, a real truth in their hands, right? So the, the Council of Nicaea, of course, which we've talked about other times where the Nicene Creed was um, was adopted, they voted on which um, stories from 300 years about earlier uh, uh, about Jesus um, actually were true and followed a line that they wanted to take. Remember, Faustus and Constantine wanted to unify the Holy Roman Empire, uh, and they, they wanted to adopt this new religion as the religion of the Holy Roman Empire as a strategy to unify the HRE, right? And so to do that, they had to, they had to invent some clout here. They had to invent some clout and that clout centers around um, Jesus being the only son of God, uh, different than any other prophet that ever was born. You know, I, uh, hold on. I never put this in historical context. Uh, the Council of Nicaea is 325 AD, I think. And the, the Roman right. Empire collapsed in like 450 or so? Yes. So they must have been getting really desperate because things were uh, already getting bad. <laughs> Right. Uh, prosecution rests. Yeah. That's why they were trying to get it. Um, they were they tried to um, uh, sell uh, the people of the time that this was divinely sanctioned, not politically motivated. Right? You see, so <laughs> in the last I mean, hundred years of an empire that had lasted a really long time and done very well. <laughs> yes. Um, and so this is not rocket science. Uh, people were just as screwed up uh, and non-critical thinking and power hungry as they are today. Yeah. Nothing's really changed that way. We're still incarnating mostly as teenagers and that never grow up, uh, emotional teenagers. So they voted again. They voted in all the Gospels that took Paul of Tarsus's picture of Yeshua's um, mission. Paul, of course, um, and here's where we're going to start um, really becoming um, heretic uh, here. And the, the last thing we'll talk about is the most heretical of all. But um, uh, if you check the Akashika and you do not have a conditioned response contracting your third eye, it's like the whole story of Yeshua, of Jesus, that's gone around the world. Joseph, you know, the saddest part about it is this has this has become like a neural net. It's a hugely powerful, solid, dense kind of uh, dynamic, a world dynamic that has infected the minds of billions of people. And when they hold to, to Christianity in its present form with all the, the roots of it, um, in that way, trying to change anything is like shooting a, a BB gun to try to disarm a battleship cruiser. Uh, uh, if you look at the energies and the infection of Christianity and of radical Christianity, radical Judaism, radical uh, Mohammedism, radical anything, they're, they're all the same contributors to a religious indoctrinational energy that's world, a worldwide toxic, uh, dark gray-brown cloud, if I can say it that way. 
So many people who do have third eyes still say that Jesus um, uh, dictated the um, uh, uh, the uh, a course in miracles when he didn't. Uh, it was another channeling entity, which is another. We should talk about channeling sometime here soon, too. Yeah. It's starting to come forward a little differently now. Uh, at any rate, from the 80s. At any rate, um, uh, uh, so trying to get a, a person who can read the Akashica unaffected by this toxic brown cloud of religious extremism, in this case, Christianity, um, you can read out the historical narrative that's right there in the Akashica. And that is that Paul of um, Tarsus, I'm, I'm sorry, this is just identity's opinion. You don't, no one has to believe any of this today, um, was gay. <clears throat> and this was a big no-no in the Judah and Judaism. <clears throat> Yeah, and uh, this whole story—the metaphor of getting knocked off his horse as uh, as uh, Saul, the tax uh, collector—was um, when he felt a true a truth um, that uh, uh, he was loved by Jesus, even if he was gay. It knocked him off his high horse uh, mm -hmm. of his of his pretending. Now he never came out publicly, but um, he, he was carrying this horrible burden as Saul. And when he realized, remember, uh, 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 Paul lived a generation, almost a generation later than Yeshua. He did not live at the same time as the apostles. He was later. And uh, as soon as he got knocked off that horse, uh, that he was loved anyway by Jesus, um, he had this sudden uh, experience. Then the only uh, explanation he could have is that Jesus really was the divine, the divine um, uh, uh a uh, uh, son of God, because only a divine thing would give him that forgiveness that would not come from the Judaic God, you see? So all of a sudden, his belief in Jesus, listening to a generation later, all the stories about him, he was dwelling with it, and bada-bing, there it was. And we would uh, say no, it was his own soul accepting him as he was in that moment, yeah? Uh, and you could say that and I can also stretch that just enough to say that if he was in, in rumination with Jesus, mm -hmm. it awakened his soul, uh, and there there was a, a love, an acceptance by Jesus that allowed him to accept him. Yeah. I, I can make that work. Uh, so, yeah, basically, yes. So um, uh, it was from there that, uh, and that was only a generation after Yeshua, 300 years or 280 years earlier than the Council of Nicaea, of course, uh, a lot of the Gospels then that were codified at the time, were written at the time, all reflected Paul's teachings, Saul who became Paul, not the teachings, uh, uh, not the uh, scriptures um, of, of, of uh, uh, essays um, that they found at uh, uh, Qumran with um, the Gospel of Philip, the Gospel of Mariam, uh, Mary, Magdala, Mary Magdalene, um, Judas, um, all these have come to earth. Thomas, uh, all these. So uh, those were all. They when they got to the Council of Nicaea, they voted on which one, which which gospels were going to become the center dogma or credo of the Christian, the Catholic, would turn to be the Catholic Church. And they all took Paul's um, line and pulled away and, and discarded any of those that did not specifically say Jesus was the Son of God, had a um, spermless birth. Um, and ascended bodily into heaven. This was the line because they, again, Constantine and Faustus, uh, Fausta, 
needed um, needed some divine uh, um, sanction to try to unify this Holy Roman Empire, which was starting to crumble at the edges at the time. So we need they needed a um, strategic political uh, religion to unify the HRE. And that led, of course, uh, another uh, couple generations later, a couple hundred years later in, in the um, Inquisition uh, that uh, put to death anyone who did not agree with the party line. So uh, right from the get-go, um, uh, people maybe earnestly, maybe not, but I, I have a past life memory that came up when I was feeling into today's podcast where um, when uh, they were voting on this, somehow I was a priest or some, some, some elder in a church, a, a, a Christian church. I was associated with it somehow. And I heard one of the electors who were voting um, that... Uh, even if it wasn't true that Jesus was the Son of God, it was important uh, uh, to show that he at least uh, spoke for God. So if we have to make him the Son of God to show that he um, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, has God's countenance, then we'll do that. And that's why uh, Leo X, much later, said, uh, this has served us well, this myth of Christ. It got us. It got us. Even if it's not true, we don't care. We don't care what's true. Yeah. We only care that it's reflective of the best way to live. So it doesn't mean all these people who buy into that stuff are dark, evil people. They're sincere people who, well, it's okay if we fuss with the truth. The end justifies the means. Yeah. That and of course, this whole. isn't a new idea. It was happening as old as the pharaohs, who were seen as, uh, you know, having some special connection of the divine. You know, and I, I also think I often think about this anthropologically, like in prehistory, because we know the pharaohs were I don't know, I don't remember exactly. They were considered semi demigods. Right. And, and yeah, uh, yes. very, mm -hmm. sure. but and that prior to like 10,000 B.C., of course, it must have been going on as well. I just I, I, I like to geek out anthropologically sometimes. I just imagine you got a group of people. You know, as soon as the Neolithic era started, you have a group of people that are living in towns and there's security issues and laws need to be made. And it becomes very clear that someone has to step up and lead. But what are the criteria by which they have the right to lead? And mm -hmm. for th all the way through the Renaissance, it was some special divine right of kings thing. That's what they ended up calling it. But uh, sure. in the Middle Ages, the Merovingians uh, claimed uh, that they w descended from uh, uh, a divine kind of uh, sea monster god. And that was like <laughs> yeah. one of their claims to the throne. So this wasn't sure. a unique thing at all. This is just what you did, you know. It's like, right. Exactly. Special. You know? uh, and, and so you're exactly right, Joseph. What we're talking about now is not is um, is out there as uh, all all reasonable things. Um that are historically cogent, uh, yeah. resonant, uh, right? I mean, his birthday, the rising from the dead, um, all these things uh, uh, were were part of the earlier earlier traditions. Uh, <laughs> they were so um, unoriginal. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, I imagine all these people like, well, so let's use some of the Egyptian myths. They they took. Let's just yeah. use some of those and build this thing like exactly. a patchwork. Well, just think, you know, there. Uh, uh, we're so spoiled now. Information is so disseminated. Right. Uh, uh, um, back then, whatever the idols said, God told me that. I mean, look at Moses. The, mm -hmm. the, the whole mosaic tradition from that moved from Abraham to Moses. Well, 
he held up that those tablets and the lightning wrote the Ten Commandments. Uh, yeah. If that didn't happen, what was what was Moses' sanction? What, 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 how could he take him seriously? <laughs> and, and those those Ten Commandments are all based on behaviors, all behaviors, not as we know now, because that was a pre-psychological era. Uh, what were the intentions and contexts for those um, those things? For the behaviors, you can't just abrogate behaviors and say um, uh, there's no exception to those behaviors uh, as being sinful or not sinful, right? Do not do this, do not do that, do not do that. Um, it's really basic ABC stuff that was was sophisticated for the time. Maybe remember the Jews were trying to the Judaism was trying to herd all their um, very stubborn and willful Jewish um, uh, um, uh, their, Jew, their population, they would like to do this and like to do that. And if, okay, so if, if, if they had two wives or if they had a lover, you know, or whatever it was, um, they, they had to herd them all into one. It's like when you herd um, uh, animals into the death chamber, that you take the herd and you, and you single it out till the very end. There's one going through at a time, right? Yeah. Uh, to control a herd, you've got to um, uh, thin thin the herd mm -hmm. and say, this is the direction we're going. Um, and so what better way to do that than to in invoke the, uh, the divine right or the it, divine... It, it makes uh, me start. wonder, there certainly must have been many more people that we've never heard of that showed up and said, I have had this revelation. I saw yes. it written in the sky and here are the rules. And people were like, Nah, it doesn't sound compelling to me. There was people trying that all the time because that was yeah. the source of authority then. Exactly right. So I guess the headline of what we said so far is that um, what turned out to be the central teachings of the dogma of Christianity um, just do not correlate with the reality that you can find in the Akashika if you, if you snoop deeply enough and you're not swayed by that brown gray cloud called christian conditioning right uh, so the attachment to their but to the beliefs of christianity is what causes that gray brown cloud and identity is saying um all the, everything we just said now are often quoted by philosophers and atheists and it's time someone who 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 is a spiritual educator takes takes um exception to a god-centered myth uh that was created as opposed to an atheist taking it to task, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in, in that sense, um, it's really important to deconstruct the Christian um, scam that uh, Jesus was born of, of flesh and in flesh, not spermlessly. This you can check out in the Akashica. Now, those who don't can't um, uh, uh, address the Akashica, uh, that way, don't believe what I'm saying here. Just let this soak into your bones, because the fact that Jesus had a father and a, a human father and a human mother does not detract from the astonishing, the astonishing um, message that he that he came with. He came just like he was as a Buddha, which we'll get to here today, um, with with um, a hood, Hinduism. In that lifetime, he came to undermine Judaism, and and the way he did that was very simple. Guess what, folks? You don't need to go to the synagogue. Guess what? We don't need rabbis. Guess what? We don't need the Ten Commandments. Those those are all things you need only if you don't know God, or you're trying to please God. You don't have to please God. Here's was his radical message. 
uh, his God, his father, Yeshua, uh, was teaching that uh, that um, his God was very different than the God of, of Judaism, which is fire and brimstone. The God of Judaism is very conditional, very conditional, even though Jews, uh, you know, Judaism, the strict line will say that God's love is unconditional. But it can't be unconditional if um, you're going to be penalized uh, if you're gay or have a yoni instead of a lingam um, uh, uh, or don't believe uh, in Yahweh, right? Uh, so Christianity um, took, unfortunately, a lot of Juda Judaism's uh, strict uh, fury of God stuff and completely ignored Yeshua's teaching. So today's Christians, what we said in another in earlier podcast, today's Christians are like the Pharisees uh, uh, that Jesus warned against. They go by the the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law, right? So you can think what kind what kind of burr up the butt of the rabbinical uh, um, uh, community Yeshua was in preaching that you don't need the synagogue if you want to go to the synagogue, go to the synagogue. But just because you don't go to the synagogue or you don't go to the wall, wailing wall, um, doesn't mean God doesn't love you. You don't have to please God by doing this and not doing that. That was his central message, which anyone who can feel Yeshua's message, this is just self-evident. Mm -hmm. He simply said, we don't need a rabbi class. We don't need spires and offerings. We don't need to slaughter lambs. And pour the blood uh, over us at the purification. We don't have to separate men and women. He took uh, um, Mary uh, Magdalene, what she was called then, into the um, apostle apostolate of his of his followers, which was completely uh, against the patriarchy of the time. Peter being the, one of the most pa biggest patriarchs who was. So this was totally a revolutionary message. In the same way, the Buddha said called um, uh, meditative BS on uh, uh, um, um, uh, people going for enlightenment by depriving themselves and renouncing themselves. Uh, the Buddha came. Yeah. Asceticism, yeah. So back to Yeshua for the moment. Um, identity offers that um, uh, he, was a, he had a father and a mother, and the father wasn't Joseph. And we'll get to that uh, identities picture of things, which again, you don't have to believe. Please don't believe this. Just let it soak into your critical thinking bones. Um, uh, so he was this revolutionary, which was a burr in the butt of the um, uh, Sanhedrin. And so uh, he was just a dusty, uh, scruffy kind of preacher at the time, but he was talking radical, radical stuff, which just was could not be allowed uh, by the rabbinic, rabbinical um, uh, authorities. At the, he had no more than 200 uh, people, maybe 250 people, following him around uh, and listening to his preaching. He didn't acquire thousands of believers, as the as the as the narrative goes. He was quite unknown, um, and a lot of people just scoffed at him. He's just a scruffy teacher who said really amazingly different things than the rabbis did, right? So. This had to be. This had to be shut down. The whole thing had to be shut down. And so um, the Pharisees that were sent to um, question him, and he he bamboozled them every time with his answers. But the point here being that, um, as we'll get to here, is that to see Jesus as mortal does not take away one iota of the message. I was reading the other day. Um, 
someone wrote in, and we talked about it last uh, podcast, I think, uh, there was a whole article about what, what causes Christians to leave the Christian religion. And uh, one person said that uh, uh, he, gave up, uh, he, he gave up on God, but he actually believes in Jesus, the real message of Jesus, but it couldn't fit it with the God of, of fury and the one you had to fear, right? Mm. Um, that uh, what, what, his, uh, what this person's years of Catholic uh, conditioning told me that uh, Jesus loves everyone no matter what. Now, is that, is that, um, is that Marjorie Taylor Greene's um, way of um, <laughs> relating to people, even though she's a rabid Christianite, right? Um, so something's wrong here. What's wrong? The belief system that came out of the scam, right? Uh, so anyway, Jesus uh, didn't have a, 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 a whole lot of um, followers, and he was getting frustrated. Um, and, and when he got frustrated, he hatched a plan. Uh, uh, the um, um, What's the Jewish holiday? The Passover was mm -hmm. coming up. And uh, Pontius Pilate um, always had this tradition, supported by Rome, to let the people, all the conquered lands, have their own religions, which was wonderful in one way. Um but uh, on Passover, they freed, uh, always freed one of the prisoners held in the Roman um, uh, jails uh, for sedition or fighting against Zionists, basically zealots. Mm -hmm. And so um, Yeshua had this idea because he was frustrated. He couldn't get any breakthrough. And he thought, well, you know, if I was in jail at the time, I think I've got just enough followers to, to have me called out on the Passover to free me. Um, and then I would my my I would raise in standing with the people, and then I could continue God's work here. Uh, Publicity stunt. A yes, exactly right. Uh, uh, Mariam, uh, his wife, by the way, um, they were the ones married at Cana. Uh, look it up. Look at the Akashic. That's all I can tell you. Don't take my word for it. They, it was all twisted to be someone else's marriage, um, not not theirs. Uh, his wife got wind of it, and John, she, he was closest. John and uh, John the Apostle and Mariam uh, were the two who felt his message the most. The rest sort of energetically uh, uh, got it a bit. They didn't. They didn't really feel it, especially Judas, which we'll get to in a moment too. So um, when they found out about it, uh, they were just livid with him. You can't. You know. Uh, you, you you can't do this. This is crazy. No, no. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And, uh, and, and so what happened was that um, to get into jail, uh, he had to cook up this supportive scheme, right? Uh, and, and his brother, his Judas, by the way, was a half-brother. Uh, Judas was the son of Mary and Joseph, even though Joseph wasn't Jesus' father. So again, in this narrative, identity narrative that you don't have to believe, um, is that uh, Yeshua was already being hunted by the Roman legates um, because of what uh, he was saying about uh, you, you change from the inside out. You don't try to overthrow the Romans, nor do you have to obey the Romans. You grow from the inside out and let divinity tell you what your steps are and how to live human life, right? So um, he was already, there was a, a warrant out for him, you could say in the modern terms. And uh and but the, the the apostles knew this and were hiding him a lot. So he told Judas, um, "Go tell the legates where I'm at. Go tell the Romans so I get into jail. And when I'm getting jail, the Passover next week or three weeks or whatever way is away, um, I'll get called out here and make sure you pass the word. Ask for Jesus to be freed. 
Um, and so again, his internal motive was that um, this is reasonable because then I'll be able to reach more people, not really getting the strategy that was basically um, not so cool. Uh, and again, he was human. He was human. So for sure enough, um, he asked, Judas didn't want to do it, but his brother was the only one he could trust to do it. Went and told the, where the Romans were, bada bada bing, bada bing, Jesus gets arrested, gets put in jail. Of course, Mariam and John, when they, when, when this all this came through, were just ripping their clothes, their robes, you know, uh, rending their garments, as it were. They both tried to get him uh, not to do this, but he did it anyway. Um, so uh, next thing that happened, of course, uh, Penisover comes, but um, uh, we all know by the Bible story here it was accurate. Uh, the Akashiga agrees that uh, the Jews all called out uh, um, Barabbas, uh, Barabbas, which is son of Abbas, Barabbas, uh, Barabbas, and not G Jesus. Uh, and since Jesus had already been uh, interviewed by Pilate at the time, and was pretty mute and said that uh, uh, the god of the gods of the Romans had no power over him, and neither did the Caesar. Didn't didn't make his case very well with Pontius Pilate, but Pilate knew could feel he was an ineffably a very different kind of prisoner than all the zealots. He wasn't a zealot. He didn't he didn't say kill Romans. Uh, he just said um, uh, love is the answer to everything, and we don't. If love is the answer, that's all you need. You don't need the hierarchies of authorities, right? So Barabbas gets called out. Uh, Yeshua is stuck. Um, and uh, they saw the moment, the Sanhedrin saw the moment where they pressured Pilate to, um, to crucify this guy because he was a rabble rouser who both challenged the Sanhedrin's authority, the rabbi's authority, and Rome. This was a compelling argument. Pilate didn't want to do it, but they had garnered so much support, um, the, the rabbinic, the, the, the uh, Sanhedrin, that um, it was uh, Pilate had to go along with it to keep the peace. Uh, they, wait, wait, they, wait. They, Who was pressuring the crucifixion? Sorry? Who was pressuring the, Pilate for the, the crucifixion? The Sanhedrin, the, the rabbinical authority. Oh, oh right. I didn't they get were that part. pressuring, yeah. yeah, they were pressuring um, Pilate to condemn him to crucifixion, which only he could do. Uh, uh. The crucifixions, uh, they could recommend to the Roman uh, um, uh, um, uh, prelate there, but uh, they so could So Yeshua actually, made too many enemies. Basically. Oh, in other words, uh, all the enemies that he made all rose in a big cacophony of yeah. din, uh, yeah. and uh, that that was it. And they and he got hooked into that happening because, like all human beings, he thought he was doing the right thing for himself and for people and for God, and it turned out to be not the case. So um, he he uh, was crucified. Um, and um, another kind of thing that's out there, which a lot of Christians still don't know, is that he only carried the crossbar on the way to Golgoth. Uh, he didn't carry the whole cross. The, the vertical one was always in place. They reused the vertical posts. You didn't have to dig new ones every time. Oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. You wouldn't want to dig that every time, yeah. No, no. And so he was carrying the cross, the cross beam, not, not the vertical piece. I mean, it's just crazy how this stuff uh, happens. And yeah. so he died, um, uh, 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 apparently, on the cross. So they even stabbed him with a little spear, which became the Spear of Destiny, and which is a really interesting, uh, which uh, Hitler actually uh, was searching all over the world for the Spear of Destiny. He oh, was yeah. a real myth. Yeah, right. totally. Yeah. 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 And so he thought if he had the Spear of Destiny, he could rule the whole world. 
Um, anyways, uh, the thing gets stabbed in the side and um, water comes out, not blood. So, that, okay, he's dead. Well, um, let's just say the uneducated Romans who were standing, standing around the cross were not doctors. Um, <laughs> and, uh, he did pass out uh, completely. And maybe they say he passed over. The Akashic is a little fuzzy on this for me. He may have passed over. But um, they, they, there was another political motivation here. They had to get him off the cross before dawn, before dusk. Mm -hmm. He was hanging on too long. Um, and the Jewish law, which was sacred stuff, all Jews have to be buried before sundown. So the, the guards knew they were in strict orders, make sure that this guy dies before it gets dark or we're going to have a riot on our hands, right? So maybe the spear of destiny was let's make sure this guy's dead and maybe uh, uh, um, uh, uh, got hurried him along to a near-death experience. At any rate, if you check with the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Akashika, you'll find out that um, they did get him down in time before dusk. He was... Uh, they, they brought him into the tomb that was um, owned by Joseph of Arimathea, a very wealthy uh, uh, merchant at the time. And uh, after they were tending to him, uh, he started to cough and sputter and came to. He did not die on that cross. Uh, so all the pictures of in the Bible that says he was seen after he was crucified, proving he was risen from the dead, um, bad data assigned to a bad context. All right. Um, he came to, they immediately um, made it secret because if, if they told the truth that he was still alive, well, they would come back in and re-crucify him. Uh, he had, it had to be kept secret that, um, that he was still alive. So the doctor, they brought the scenes, brought in some docs uh, overnight that Saturday night and, uh, um, and got him to, to secreted him out the, the door. Um, and, and, um, the, the, they say the stone was rolled back when they found it on Sunday Easter morning. The, st the stone never rolled forward. They never sealed the the, the mm -hmm. thing. They had guards. Uh, uh, the Essenes the uh, crowded the front so no one could see that Yeshua had woken up, but they didn't move the stone. The stone wasn't blown over by some magic. <laughs> uh, it, it was never rolled in the first place. It was only 24 hours, uh, not even 24 hours later. Uh, they, so they got him out in the 12 hours later, they got him out and secreted him and kept his, uh, uh, the fact that he was alive um, uh, out of the news, as it were, because he would just get re-crucified uh, uh, again. So he not only didn't die on the cross, he, he also had a human mother and father. And again, that he didn't die on the cross and rise from the dead doesn't take away one iota from his radical, unbelievable history-making uh, um, uh, a message, right? So uh, in that sense, uh, when they voted the Council of Nicaea, which Gospels supported the narrative of Paul, is why I often say it should be called Paulianity, not Christianity, because if Yeshua were alive today, uh, some, he would claim that he was a devotee of the Christus, or the um, which identity has a whole other picture of what the Christ consciousness is. That's maybe for our follow-up podcast to this. Yeah, but I wanted to get the the narrative of identity that honors Yeshua's radical teaching in the same way that the Buddha's radical teaching um, uh, reformed uh, tried to reform Hinduism. Well, neither Hinduism and Judaism uh, agreed, and so the Buddhism broke off uh, Buddhaism, and uh, Christianity broke off from Judaism, and uh, our historical narrative um, goes from there. 
one thing that identity likes to offer that I haven't read anywhere else uh, in any in any uh, secular or non secular um, stuff, only in the Akashika, is that um, uh, look what happened. And it's something that supports it was the same soul in two different uh, incarnations. Without being mindful of it, uh, 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 Gotama, Siddhartha, offers a yeah, he let's, let's backtrack. Uh, Siddhartha's mother died in in child uh, in childbirth or a day or three afterward. That's part of the historical narrative. It's pretty solid, uh, um, and so he never had a mother. He never had a mother, and you could say that his entire spiritual arc, that life as Siddhartha, was to be seeking Yin. The div- and it turns out he found some really deep aspect of the divine yin coming out of the very mundane fact that he had no mother, only a very patriarchal father that raised him to be the next king. So his whole spiritual arc was about missing a mother, and that drove him to find, in identity's opinion anyway, the premier yin divine uh, aspect of uh, what was called enlightenment in the past, uh, which is a yin divine aspect of being. Yeshua, on the other hand, uh, Joseph wasn't his father, and um, uh, Yeshua knew Joseph wasn't his father. And so his whole arc was about finding the father God. Uh, And the previous 300 years or 400 years before, he found the yin version of God, even though that's not in any of the Buddhist teaching. And in the the Yeshua life, he, um, he, he was searching for the father God to be personal to all of us. And like Gotama's message can be can be framed as searching for the yin god, uh, even though there was no yin god at the time, of course. So this is a very peculiar and wonderful kind of symmetry that identity just um, loves to um, sit with as, as being possibly true. And of uh, course... Uh, Muhammad's father died before he was born. Is there a symmetry to that too? Is it for the same reason? Absolutely. Um, thanks for bringing that in. It's like um, there's no no idea of psychological motivation for <laughs> spiritual activity right. back then, right? Yeah. So, of course, Allah is the ultimate patriarchal God. Um, but, but again, um, the influences that happened after uh, um, uh, Muhammad's message, which was one of his peace and love, peace and love, um, was not acceptable to the more warlike or or theocratic kinds of uh, um, uh, Muslims. They wanted to um, weaponize the um, the, uh, uh, the the new religion brought by by uh, Muhammad, and just like Christians wanted to, wanted to weaponize Yeshua's message, but had to lie to do it. Mm. So um, that's why the Quran. If you read the Quran, it's so many times. It's it's so gentle uh, 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 in its love and its peace from Muhammad and and yet Allah Allah is supposed is got has got the same vengeful kind of dynamic kill the infidels as the Jews say kill the kill the Gentiles I mean yeah. why is it is this so hard for people to get the patriarchalization and weaponization of religions is this is our, this is our narrative of the species this is what we do and it's all coarse. And it's all unloving and it's all based in power and greed and control. So, yes, uh, Muhammad, uh, same thing, looking for his father and spiritualized his his enlightened state as that way um, that was 
very parallel to what Yeshua was offering some hundred, how many hundred years earlier? Very 600. similar. 600, yeah. So um, the peace and love thing just doesn't go well with those who want to weaponize religion and change the world, right? Peace and love just doesn't do it. Look at every MAGA uh, extremist in Congress in this country. Yeah, look how ironic is every religion sees that all of the other religions do that, but never admit that they do the same. You know, like Christians are very critical of Muslim extremism yeah. and somehow forget, you know, the 1800 years, including the Crusades and all of that and, oh my God. and how it's coming up, you know, now in more subtle ways. Yeah, they resent the uh, caliphate uh, aims of uh, of uh, of um, Muslims when they want their own theocracy. Yeah, they want their, our, yeah we're against theocracy except for ours, which is not a theocracy. But. Why? Wait, this is the constitutional republic. How do you people? How can you look in the mirror? Yeah. And at any rate, let's uh, let's complete the uh, story um, yeah. of Yeshua's life that way. Um, and of course, the sixty-four thousand dollars question, as they used to say when I was growing up in Quiz. When that shows, was a lot of money. <laughs> when that was a lot of money, it would barely pay the rent uh, on a lot of uh, places to live in California. Uh, it's certainly it's not a down year. payment anymore. That's for sure. <laughs> no, it certainly isn't. <laughs> anyway, the question is, who was Jesus's father? Mm -hmm. And um, here's where um, I'm not. I'm a little fearful, and I have been a little fearful to. Um, offer this um, because life and limb is at risk when you go against a weaponized religion that counters their narrative. Um, look at Salman Rushdie, right? Um, yeah, just a uh, stab just like a month or two ago. Yeah, exactly right. So, uh, you know, a lot of friends and um, have told me in the past, don't don't make this public because then you're a target. And yet, in some ways, you, can, you can't be a little bit pregnant, right? Um, and so I gingerly um, looked at, okay, I asked the Akashika um, in that way and, and my own sense of soulful access to things. And uh, it turns out his um, father was his grandfather. Mm -hmm. Mother Mary's father had his way with her, and uh, which happened a lot, just as much in this that day as it happens in this day, uh, even more so. And was it when it became clear that her period stopped and she began to show he had to to preserve the honor of the family he had to marry her off to joseph uh also to support the line of david that uh, the whole family was in um and to cover the indiscretion so that but again to say this out loud that yeshua was a product of incest take that in just for a moment in a counterintuitive way that the message of love and 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 unity and, and, and sobriety of his message coming from what would be condemned condemned by weaponized religions as the worst kind of bastard there is um, that his message still came out with love and forgiveness and care I'm sorry, um, him being uh, his father, being his grandfather, to me, amplifies the reverence we should have for this message, not denies it. So what do we lose? What Say it this other way. What if everything that I just rolled out here, what if that were even half or two thirds true? It would undermine the very underpinnings of Christianity. 
you can Christianity likes to blame aberrant teachers and uh, teachers or um, priests or brothers or rabbi, uh, not in Judaism. Um, they like to blame wrong-headed people for, for example, the rampant pedophilia in um, in, in Catholicism that's still to this day uh, being covered up by bishops and cardinals. Uh, what what how? It's, it's not caused by aberrant individuals. Every downside of these religions is can be traced directly back to their dogma, directly yeah. back to their dogma. Uh, the, the pedophilia, if you, if, you, if you make sex outside of marriage evil or all priests can't be married or have sex because Jesus never married and had sex, when Jesus married and had sex, um, in truth, um, that repression... Um, especially because priests have this inner sense, most of them, when they start out of goodness and care and innocence. But the pedophilia that comes out of this in the modern day and that has been coming out for, for a thousand years, where do you think all those orphanages, why those orphanages were built in, in the Middle Ages? It was because of all the children that priests were, were having through the nuns uh, that they were under, under their um their, their, their protection or in their parish, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, when you repress that basic level of, um, of, of humanism, uh, our, our sexual impulses, our, 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 our ability to procreate uh, as the secondary result, if you make that bad, you're going to create a repressive atmosphere that needs to squirt out, sorry for the metaphor, <laughs> got to squirt out uh, to resist it. And this is the cause. It doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to see that this, this, that just like wrong-headed weaponization and judgment in in in, in, in classical religions um, uh, creates atheism, the repressive sexual vibe in Catholicism creates pedophilia, and they will never own that because that would threaten a central part of their dogma that priests are emanating or emulating Jesus when Jesus had a wife and fathered a child, uh, even though he left Jerusalem um, before that child was born. So, um, the Judea. So, in that sense, um, identity's picture wants to, to say the time for the scam called Christianity is, is, is time to be over. And that and all of the hatred that's spewed in, in, in judgment and racism uh, uh, that comes out of uh, uh, Christianity, white Christianity, is uh, is so abhorrent in, uh, to me personally uh, that I, I don't. I used to be angry for you know me when I was really angry and ra railing against uh, yeah. Catholicism, especially. Yeah. I don't have that. I can't be angry anymore. I'm just heartbroken by the fact that good people have been sucked into this gray-brown um, conditioned uh, worldwide condition cloud. And uh, I, I take uh, the risk here in a small podcast that Christians are never going to listen to, but who knows um, about yeah. what will come out of this. Uh, it's sometimes you kind of got to go big or go home, you know, and I, I can't be a little bit pregnant. And well, I you can't follow. You wouldn't be following your own paradigm if you didn't bring everything in your inside yeah. to the outside. You know, when, yeah. when it's not inappropriate to do so. Yeah. In other words, we've got a spiritual teaching now that that includes the wisdoms of philosophy and psychology 
into the present day and, and find we found an all, our own way to spiritualize psychology and philosophy. Yeah, and so it's in, kind of a no-brainer too. It's like with the advent of psychology, it's like it's such a radical change in the way in a way of looking at, at human beings. Why wouldn't we go back and revise everything? I mean, yeah. it's sort of like discovering radioactivity causes cancer. It's like they took the fluoroscopes out of the shoe stores when they figured that out. They didn't just leave them. They're like, no, no, they're still cool. They're a shoe store tradition, uh, you know. Well, that that's that would involve critical thinking. Yes. And yeah. and, and the weaponized Christians uh, and and Muslims as as two of the most, even though. Uh, the Jews have their own Williamsburg and uh, and the um, the subjugation of women and oh, oh sure. God it's, it's a horrible but the, the least they keep it local uh, um, they they don't look to um, create a Jewish state a global Jewish state around the whole world they just say please leave us alone let us weaponize our own people we don't want to weaponize Judaism for anybody else unlike the Christians and the Muslims right. So um, in that sense, uh, yeah, why, why can't we revise these traditions? Because billions of people say, no, I'd be lost without the, my, my compass of Christianity or a Muslim. Uh, they would be lost. Yes. And tell me why that's a bad thing. Yeah. Um, could it be any worse with, with extremists and both uh, mostly Muslim and Christian uh, equally um, uh, uh, weaponized. What, is it worse than what we're experiencing now? The Marjorie Taylor Greens, the, the, um, uh, the, the pseudo-Christians in Congress in the United States, the hate that they spew, the racism that they proudly stand for now behind this um, failed experiment called Donald Trump. Uh, well, you, you asked me to look for an opportunity to insert uh, what we briefly talked about before we started recording here when I was asking about the governing dynamic of change. And yes. here's one of the pieces is there has to be a willingness for for someone to change. There has to be in at least an implicit willingness for them to choose cognitive dissonance, disorientation, lostness over a uh, false narrative, false belief. Yes. And not everybody Beautiful. is ready for that. No, no. And that's the problem, isn't it? Uh, we can acknowledge here that we don't, identity doesn't offer any panacea. Um, it, it simply wrings its hands in pain over how few people are ready to do exactly what you just said, yeah. which is curiosity space instead of uh, to hold their beliefs in an open hand, not a closed fist. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, you have to be willing to have cognitive dissonance and lostness to be found. Uh, you've got to be you've got to be pulled out of your compensatory um, belief systems to learn a deeper picture of reality. And how many people are ready to do that? And, and that's, uh, you know, I mean, just to go meta meta psycho spiritual here. I think that's probably one of the biggest surprises for me in my own um asymptotic evolving embodiment of identity that I keep, I keep being, I continue to be surprised how much I don't know any more than I did last week or the month before or a year before. It's like there's so many layers of this deep assumption that's like, well, surely the more I evolve, the more I'll be certain of things, know things, control things. And actually, mm -hmm. it's 
not that at all. There's a no. net gain somehow. There's there's a mm -hmm. net gain of control isn't really the right word, ability to navigate reality that happens, but there's not a sense that you're doing it, have planned it. It doesn't give a sense of control. It's yes, it's, and, and to do to um carry to come right off what you said, it's the opposite of control. It's the let go of structural maps to let reality tell you what's true, not your beliefs, not your maps, right? And that's cognitively dissonant right there. It's, it's a loss of control. Um, here, go go and explore life without your map. Um, go explore this area without a map. That's the best and easiest way to describe exactly what you're saying. Without that, nothing will change. Uh, and the ability to bear cognitive dissonance, non-substantial growth, by your old measurement uh, is not isn't isn't evident. You just start trusting the unknown space to keep revealing things to you, and the more it reveals to you, the less mappy you are, and the more reality -y you are. But the right? problem is, is people are so unconscious of the map, you start to um, lovingly deconstruct it and try to like wrest it out of their hands. And okay. um, what they first experience is the disorientation and probably some reactivity about that's being taken away, not yes. the not the oh wow this is a really different experience not having a map. There's a period of time in there that it's like something is very wrong. I need to go back to the way it was. Um, yeah, and not yeah. everybody is, can wade through that that cognitive dissonance. Absolutely. There's and there's an analog. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. There's there's an analog in uh, that I've, I've there's a wonderful book called Make It Stick that is uh, about education that uh, points to how you know in like the last I don't know since the 90s or so there's been this whole in public education learning style stuff. Well, the people have different learning styles and and that's really cool and it's less model first, people second kind of thing. But there's a big problem with it because in the it turns out people in short are not good evaluators of what their best learning style is. Yes, <laughs> isn't that true? Yeah, that's like exactly some, right. Yeah, like something like three quarters of the time, you you know, you can teach. They do these studies. They teach someone, and then they test them, and people are reliably wrong about the best way to they learn. They choose the comfortable way, not the most efficient way. Um, yes, and that's just fascinating to me that um, we actually don't know the best way that we learn. We know the most comfortable way for us, yes. and yes. Um, we often need it to be uncomfortable. So now I think um, beautiful, beautifully said, Joseph. Thank you. Um, and as always, you bring the rubber to the road of uh, the, the applied, applied always. Um, and and uh, a question that you, you has been brewing in you that you shared here before we came on air uh -huh. about the alchemy of change. Um, of course, you just you just um, described the uh, sine qua non necessary doorway of that you have to walk through. Okay, what's next? What's what what's the next algorithm of change? And it feels to us in our in our world now, and has felt for a lot of people over the ages, that wisdom and 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 discernment is the is the algorithm that allows you to choose your your value systems carefully and uh, whether even if it's intuitive. In other words, wisdom and insight um, is is been taught as the algorithm. Once you have uh, an exploratory mapless kind of relationship to reality, um, which uh, non-dual ensoulment really helps with, uh, it really mm -hmm. does. 
Um, but um, uh, once you have that, um, uh, identity would say, no, that's actually the third thing. The, the next thing that happens when you release your maps and are willing to explore life um, uh, and, le and learn about reality that way um, is uh, love. Uh, love is before wisdom. And the alchemy of love works like this. Love is the deepest bandwidth of reality, not not attachments to love, which is a secondary relationship to love. Love itself, love itself has not been adequately experienced or defined as something without um, without a lot of secondary reactions or relationships to it. Love itself, because it's the deepest frequency of being, uh, it it what it does is it. It's like acid on metal of wisdom and attached beliefs. Love, when, when it comes in these pure ways, as Yeshua tried to tell us um, how to do that, um, it's more powerful uh, than wisdom and it's more powerful than any map you hold. It literally uh, um, dissolves over time, over time, and I can't, let me say it one more time, over time where love always wins in the end and, and, and because love alchemizes expansion, whereas mapping um, and, and an unwillingness to have cognitive dissonance and lostness um, creates contractions of consciousness. Uh, wisdom skates a difference uh, the, uh, right in between these two. Um, it's helpful, but um, uh, wisdom is not should not be led. Love should be led, and I'm just now at the ripe old age to so be 71 in a couple of weeks. Um, I'm finally learning to. I've spent my whole life, which I had to do, creating a new paradigm, leading with wisdom and insight, and that's all energetic. And I'm finally learning uh, what was what was keeping me from actually embodying the love uh, that that is the most effective um, stimulus to change. So that's um, that. That is my general answer to the question that you um, were talking about. So the algorithms review one is lose your maps, lose conditioned ways of being, lose conditioned ways of thinking, um, concepts, etc. Then love. What does love mean then in that context? What you need love from a person, from God, from what is that? What does that look like? You need love from a person that can um, transmit or translate the purest form of love possible, which is always divinely sourced, right? Mm -hmm. we, if we don't have an encounter of that in some way, wisdom can really speak to us and make us, cho make us choose differently and take different uh, paths in life, um, certainly. But uh, in the end, uh, without love, it's just another map. Wisdom is just another map. So uh, what we all need is some, some way, access, to feel the divine version of love that is translatable through human beings once they heal all the way down past their shame and core unworth. The divine existential root of our consciousness begins to rise up into our, our, our being. So we can't really embody the love that's the essential, most effective way of change until we embody our own uh, um, uh, um, non-healed, wound-based version of consciousness to some degree. 
which allows this depth depth to divinity that love touches people's souls which is upstream yes. of mind and will yes and so right. it creates change at the deepest levels yeah if, if the soul gets awakened that way it will outshine mental body maps it'll outshine resistances it'll outshine everything because it awakens soul into ah, being upstream otherwise if you try to compete with the mind at the level of wisdom yes. <laughs> and insight it's not an right. order of magnitude deeper so right. you end up with competing beliefs and then you've got then the person has to use will to try exactly. to will forward one belief <laughs> or insight over another and they yes. never really have leverage on it because they're operating at the same level like einstein quote they're operating at the same level of the problem rather than upstream of the problem Absolutely. Well, so well said, Joseph. That was really a helpful thing to put closure to our talk today. And I'd like to put closure, uh, if that's okay yeah, with please. you at the moment. Um, I, and I'd just like to go to a slight bit of content first, and that is that um, for those of us who um, uh, uh, contradict or offer alternative views of two hugely uh, uh, um, effective spiritual teachers who we're still talking about to this day, uh, Siddhartha and Yeshua. Um, for identity, um, the fact that uh, these two caught an identity's perception, these two um, beings taught the most clear sagely and saintly tracks of, um, of spirituality out there. They, they, they built new paradigms. They didn't just preach love and goodness. They built new paradigms. Um, and these paradigms, this is why we're, we godify them or deify them because they made new paradigms. But nobody says Rene Descartes. Um, I think, therefore, I am a paradigm changer. It means he's the son of God or something. Or lotus blossoms um, uh, erupt off of a baby's feet and baby Siddhartha when he was born. Uh, but the point being, another element that that links the two souls is that we mentioned this in previous podcasts. Siddhartha abandoned his infant son mm -hmm. and his wife to go heal the, 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 the suffering of the world completely out of touch with the human version of him that just decimated his wife and his newborn child. And Yeshua, 400 some years later, abandoned his wife and child while she was still in the womb, Sarah, and uh, just because he felt he couldn't allow himself to uh, experience the joy of, um, of being a father when he screwed up so badly in the crucifixion. He actually uh, uh, left Mariam and went to the east, and uh, his bones are still in uh, Srinagar, uh, the dust of his bones anyway. He abandoned his wife and children again 400 years later. So our spiritual heroes, they have clay feet. Sorry, they just do. Um, it's a, it's a, even though I hate this metaphor, we humans have to bootstrap our way to divinity. It's not going to come down to us from above by a hairy thunderer in the sky or a jealous God. Um, we have to develop our exit to divinity from the ground up. And that's what identity's most, in my opinion, most compelling contribution is. It's ground up spirituality, not top down. And every religion on the planet that has survived is top down. Even there's even hierarchy in Buddhism enlightenment. Um, that's uh, yeah. they, even though they claim there isn't. 
So that's what I'd like to leave with. It's just because our, our spiritual heroes have clay feet, uh, human feet, doesn't mean that their messages weren't uh, universally applicable to the human condition. So there is a reverence for Yeshua and Gotama as the premier teachers of the double kind of reality of spiritual growth. There's, there's, it requires both sage uh, um, uh, de dethroning of the mind eye uh, that then allows the soul eye to take more residence in the being and then um, in sainthood to cultivate a relationship with that divine once the mind is no longer in the way. So uh, enlightenment and a divine being uh, access are, have always been a resonant dynamics, not opposite ones that they've been taught for thousands of years. So um, mm. one last personal note, this is the first time, Joseph, I've gone public with the Yeshua's father was his grandfather. Um, mm. I, I've couched it in books, uh, have all my books carry it to some degree, but I've never publicly got on a stump um, and offered this. And I'm a little, um, uh, shaky, uh, uh, bringing it for good reasons because I don't, I don't fear so much for myself. But someone, some crazy Christian, uh, might might uh, might do something to someone I love and hold me hostage until I recanted or some ridiculous thing like that. So these are just dreads and fears. I don't take them seriously. But this was the first time I've ever gone public in a public forum. Yeah. Uh, about these truths of identity. So this will likely scare off a lot of people, um, perhaps uh, to identities, some offerings, but I hope not. I hope uh, it's seen as um, what it is as an offering, not a, not an absolute truth. I don't know what's absolutely true, but I can't sit here and support anymore the scam of Christianity and what it's become. Yeah, I mean, certainly for Christians, but I think we would have alienated such people uh, long before with uh, there's no such thing as altruism, there's no such thing as victimhood. Uh, yes. Those things are quite scarier for most people, I would think, but you, one never knows. Well, yeah, we're just dropping out omniscience and omnipotence. Right, uh, yeah, we already did that, yeah. Well, we, they already should shoot us for that, you know. Yeah. Uh, so this is probably not so consequential, but um, I just I've never had a public forum for this. And it was time for me to say this was the one last truth that I was squeamish to offer directly in mm. public. So, mm. Well, I know what anyway. it's like pushing those things out a little bit at a time. Yeah. So I, I, I honor sure. that. It was a pleasure to be a part of it. So right, sir. Thank next time, should we go further into Buddhism? I don't know if we've gone into Buddhism per se, you know, like in terms of the life of the Buddha and the development of all that. We, we talked about, yeah. You read my mind. Yeah. Uh, let, let, let's put as much time in the life of Buddha and what he actually taught and what identity offers um, uh, has been lost in translation. Uh, literally over the centuries, just like uh, what Jesus said has been lost in translation. So, yeah, let's do next on, let's do some esoterica for those. Yeah, because uh, es especially because I think, um, you know, most of our listeners um, and, and identity uh, subscribers or whatever, subscribers of identity, uh, yeah, there you go. they're far more likely to have um, participated in Buddhistic practices as adults yes. than Judeo-Christian ones. And right. um, it's far, the, the distortions in Buddhism are far more subtle. And, yes. um, uh, it, you know, because we think Buddhism is really cool here in the West the same way they think Christianity is <laughs> really cool in the East um, yes. because they weren't, they didn't grow up with it. And so it's, I mean, I encounter that every month, the, 
the the distorted ideas that have trickled down into new age consciousness and that to me is yeah. a, a realer threat for the more porous uh, and progressive souls in our society oh well said again yeah new age uh, religionism cherry picking stuff um, uh, yeah, the, and because the distortions in Buddhism are so much more subtle, they're much more toxic, underground, hidden. Whereas yeah. Christianity, is, you can laugh at out loud, um, but but you can't laugh out loud at, at Buddhism's because there you'd have to go a little way into the Buddhist path to see the distortions. So yeah, let's do that. Yeah, let's and also that. like people who are into religion, I you know how I feel about that mostly is just like well you you need a rule book to get through life like that's i can understand that I've, I've been there whereas people who are into buddhism tend to be more experienced souls who are yes. um cul-de-sacking in a way that they don't even realize and it seems to be somehow a little less necessary than people yes. operating with really strong belief systems so um sure. and there's not a lot of yeah. alternatives I, I could have a, 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 a cup of really good espresso um, with a Buddhist. Um, I couldn't with a Christian extremist. Yeah, um, it's just a different so, quality. Yeah, yeah whole, whole different tones. But still, uh, from identity's point of view, just as toxic to overattach to sure. Buddhism. It's like alcohols, alcoholics are, they go to the um, uh, methadone of being addicted then to alcoholism. Uh, and so it's just a bypass thing. And same thing here. Uh, all we're saying about Buddhism is, wait a minute, uh, there's just as much uh, distortion there as there is in uh, 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 God-centered religions. Yeah. So Cool. Yes, well, I look you know, forward I, to that. I, I trust you to, uh, to, to hammer me on questions on that one because oh. that was the path of both of ours for a while. And uh, yeah. I like to have someone uh, pushing me on this stuff. Yeah, so, and I'm very much in the midst of it at the moment. So I look forward to that. And we're recording that just in a few days. So I can hardly wait. All right, sir. Thank you, Stace. Uh, Thank you, listeners. Last um, thought. Um, your, your podcast is the space of cognitive dissonance uh, and lostness. And I want to honor it exactly in that domain. <laughs> well, when you say your podcast, I that causes me to feel cognitively dissonant because I definitely <laughs> experience it that way. Uh, if you, okay. Yeah. If you took you uh, out I, of it, the podcast wouldn't exist. So it couldn't be just mine. That's true. We're just talking about talking about origination dynamics. Sure, uh, sure. Okay. You created the space, and I filled it secondarily. All right. So yep. that's metaphysically true. How about true. that? Ontologically that okay? prior. Yeah. Ontologically, okay. uh, Edenists are ontological more than they are. They're origin oriented, not hierarchical uh, oriented. Mm. And that's a, another whole nice talk someday here yeah. soon. Yeah. Okay, sir. Thank you again. Thank you, Stace. Bye All for right. now. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. To learn more about Stace Barron and Identity, please visit identity.org. To learn more about Joseph Shapiro, visit clearandopen.com. Until next time, we wish you well on your journey.